Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 349 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 15th, 2014. Got a big show for you talking about USC and the Holiday Bowl. Got a lot of your questions to get to. Team getting ready. Bowl preparation, playing Nebraska. We're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde and Dan Weber both talking about the Holiday Bowl. We're going to start off with Dan Weber this week. Uh, and if you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us at 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there, try to keep it brief, or write on our website, peristylepodcast.com, the easiest place to go right on your computer, click on the left side of the page, and leave us a voicemail right from there. Let's welcome in Dan Weber. We're going to talk about ball practices and stuff. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Yep, and uh, enjoying the bowl practices, really. Uh, I think uh, they're doing good. I think they've done a, a really nice job with these first six. Yeah, so six. So we're going to start off talking about that, Dan. Six practices we had the previous weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, before, and that at that time, USC did not know which bowl they were going to go to. And then this past weekend, you know, they had finals and stuff, but they had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning again. Um, and I know even some players had – had finals over the weekend, couple days off, and then back on Wednesday is really going to be the first time they're game prepping. But I know we talked about this before. You kind of felt like these, it's almost like a fall camp sort of feel that you really like these, these first six practices that Sark ran out there. Yeah. And I really liked, uh, you know, fall camp and, uh, liked, uh, you know, spring ball and, uh, really, really liked the way the kids on their own, uh, you know, with obviously, you know, guidance from the, the coaches, but not there, uh, approach summer. And I thought, you know, the, the theory and the idea, the up-tempo and using all the weapons and, and really going after people uh, and getting after people and using their, you know, athleticism and, you know, the, the, as many weapons as they've got and, uh, you know, just not, not easing up, I think they do that really well. And uh, I think it really sets this... Uh, this team's, uh, you know, you know, not great numbers, but some real special talent, even among the young players. Uh, what it looks like is, I know Sark has talked about this is a good time for, you know, developmental process uh, for the young players, especially maybe the guys that didn't get to play. And I'm thinking also this might be a good time for the developmental process of the coaches. And I know Sark talked about this after the Notre Dame game, but that, yes, this is going to be a physical team, and this is going to be a team that really gets after people, and this is going to be, you know, a demanding coaching staff and all that. And I think, you know, you would like to see the developmental process of the coaches uh, go along with that of the players and, uh, uh, you know, that ability to just decide, this is who we are. This is how we're going to play. And this is what we do best. And uh, as much as you may, at times, you want to be a run-first team, if you've got a lot of young guys in that offensive line, maybe you decide, you know, we can beat Boston College. If we throw it 60 times, we throw it 60 times. And, it, and you don't worry, oh, we're going to have three and outs, and that will, you know, lengthen the game. And it will hurt our, you know, defense because they'll be on the field too much. I just think, you know, if you've got a quarterback that completes 70% of your passes, you go there. You've got a whole bunch of wide receivers that probably make it difficult for, you know, teams to match up with every single one of them. Uh, maybe you go there. And you don't think, oh, gosh, what if we have three and outs? Forget that. Just do what you do well, which is what they do in these practices uh, that we see when they're not exactly scheming for somebody specifically, but they're scheming for themselves. And they're going to what they do well, throwing the ball deep, uh, you know, making you defend every single position on the field, and going, you know, quick and 
all of that. I mean, taking advantage of, you know, Cody's accuracy and, uh, you know, there's so many things I think that we see that they do well. And you want to just say, just continue that on. Don't outthink yourself. Don't try to figure out, you know, you get to the second half with the lead or whatever. How do we shorten the game or how do we do this or no, no, just do what you do well, believe in it. And uh, so I'm thinking this, if this developmental process of the players goes on, uh, the developmental process that you'd like to see also is for the coaches to figure out exactly how going forward this team has to play and who they have to be. And are they really going to be up-tempo uh, all the way, which it certainly looks like they can be. Uh, but uh, this is the time to do that. And so what you see is, you know, in practices like this, when they're not exactly scheming for anyone else, you see a team that you think, wow, okay, these guys can – this is a tough out if you're playing USC and they come at you like this. Uh, but if you go in there not sure what you want to do or maybe you're trying to change things and – Nobody, you know, like the UCLA game where you're a little intimidated uh, for whatever reason, uh, you can't play like that. you got to play the way we see them in practice now, and uh, that's pretty encouraging. So that's kind of, you know, I don't think we're, we're kidding people when we say they really look good, and they practice. You know, it's a team <laughs> that likes to practice. This team likes to play football, and uh, that's what you got to kind of let them do. If that's not good enough in the second half against Utah or Arizona State, well, then, then it's not. But you don't want to take them out of games. You want to let them just play their game uh, and play it all the way and then see what happens. The, uh, and, you know, we've seen this kind of before and that, you know, we've talked about how good the practices were and they just didn't seem to look the same during the season. But I think Sark kind of hinted later on they don't want to use depth and numbers as an excuse but you kind of they kind of talked about that a little bit where hey you know we had to do something where in his mind he was trying to protect the team more do you get a sense that next year when they're able to bring in a full class they'll be a little bit deeper of a roster that and you know maybe some of the conservativeness that they went through in practice they might get away from next year yeah i think they outthought themselves too much i think without a doubt they were you know and that's that happens sometimes i think when coaches kind of you know they they want to do well and they they think it's it's up to them and I, I always thought one of the, the absolute genius of Pete Carroll was as much as it was always about Pete in some ways he knew it was essentially about his players making plays and freeing his players to make plays throughout the whole game especially in the second half on defense when you go back and look at look at those years, you look at how many times USC players made big plays on defense uh, to shut people down. You know, and Pete had a, still was a, you know, bend, don't break to some extent, but, but he, he combined that with a, a freeing of playmakers to make plays. And I think we didn't see that very much this year where a kid would be able to step up in the second half on defense and make that play that shut the other team down. We just didn't quite see that. So I think that, you know, the combination of staying true to yourself on offense and then uh, enabling your playmakers to make plays on defense and having the, having the guts to do both things. And I think one of the things, I mean, I think this was a good learning lesson for the coaches in some ways of what not to do. I mean, it was so stark as to, you know, the, the losses that, you know, came on the, on the, basically on the last play of the game. Uh, you can't do that anymore. And how do you not do that? And there are two ways. Uh, one, you play all the way on offense, and they're not close enough to, uh, to come back and beat you. Or you also make plays on defense that, that shut other people down. You know, you get that big sack. You get that interception. Uh, you, know, the, the, you know, last year, the, you know, the Stanford game, you have to be able to make those plays at the end of the game. That we didn't see. Uh, so I think both of those things have to, have to happen. And I think they have to, you know, have to really start with the coaches. And you say it's on the coaches, but in a way, it's really about your players. 
and you're, you're, you're letting your players on offense make their plays. You're not taking them out of the game by saying things like, well, we're not going to throw the ball much in the second half. And you let your defensive players make plays by not just, you know, sitting back and playing very conservatively. So I think those two things go together. I think in practice we see that. We don't always see it in games, you know, in the second half. And uh, so that's what you, you would just like to see this, uh, you know, kind of the attitude, the, uh, the way they're attacking practice. Just keep attacking in games and, and just, you know, play like that and just be yourself and uh, see if that's good enough. All right. Uh, let's see. We want to go to some questions. I'm going to play you a voicemail question first. Here you go, Dan. Hey, Ryan. David Wellman here in OC. Had a question on Leonard Williams. Can't argue with any decision he makes to head to the NFL. But from USC's end, has there ever been any consideration from USC to offer to pick up the tab for loss of value insurance, uh, similar to what Georgia did for Todd Gurley, as a potential incentive to get him to stay? I would think if there were any chance that he was on the fence, this could potentially take a little of the financial aspect off the table and make it easier for him to come back for a final year. And from USC's perspective, elite players like him may be well worth it in terms of higher butts and seats uh, and an increased likelihood of playoff payouts. Thanks for your thoughts on this, as well as all the work you do on your myriad podcasts, articles, and the Peristyle. Fight on. Yeah, it's a good idea. And I, my, my guess would be if that you know scenario were to play out, USC would do that. I mean, I would think I mean, it, with schools they have up to $75,000 and uh, – that they can devote to that. And I know what did Jameis Winston, um, I think Florida State put 60000 up to uh, to his uh, policy. And I, I know the kid at uh, Texas A&M who was on the fence, the offensive lineman, and the coaches visited him and, and said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll ante up with either fifty dollars or $60,000 for your policy. Uh, you know, I think with Leonard – you would really hesitate to go and offer that. I think, you know, you'd be understood that if, if, if that were to happen, you know, if he were really seriously wanting to think about coming back, I mean, the first thing I think you would want to do is say, no, Leonard, you got to go. It's just, it's probably not, because uh, no matter what, those policies aren't going to make up for uh, the kind of injury that could, uh, you know, really damage his um, his NFL career. So my guess would be, I know if he came to me, I'd say, you know, sure, you we do whatever you want, but we don't think you want to do this. This this would be, but uh, uh, so, but it is interesting nobody's talked about, and, and maybe the reason nobody has talked about that is it just doesn't seem like a good idea to anybody uh, to encourage Leonard to come back. Now, a couple of the other guys, that might be a different story when, you know, uh, if you're on the fence, you're not sure you're going to get drafted in the first couple of rounds. You're one of those, you know, third, fourth round, fifth round guys. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously you would look at a Nelson Aguilar and a, and a Buck Allen. And, you know, with Buck, you've got, you know, his time clock is running. He's a running back. You've got so many plays in you. He's 23. But, you know, if they have a really good year next year team-wise, and they, you know, take it to as far as they could go. Could that raise Buck, <clears throat> you know, a round or two? Yeah, maybe. Would that be enough money to be make a difference to take that chance? I don't know. But it, it, you know, same with Nelson. Now, if that happened, and you know, they said if we could, you know, get a get a policy like that or get help to a policy like that, would that make sense? Yeah, maybe. I think. I think each case is so individual. And it so depends on your position, other people that are coming out this year, all those kinds of things. Uh, you know, but the thought would be that if everybody comes back who could, other than, say, Leonard, uh, this team would clearly be in a position to make a run, uh, you know, for the, for the playoffs, would probably start the year really, uh, you know, highly ranked and with the chance to stay there. So, uh, I, I, I'm not so sure with Leonard, but maybe in other cases it would be uh, it would be appropriate. Um, that's kind of along the same lines of Melvin. Melvin had a couple questions. 
Um, he wanted to know who you think would go, it, the juniors would go to the NFL draft. And then if Kessler stays around, comes back to USC, do you think either Max Brown or Jalen Green would transfer out? So kind of a couple questions there from Mel. Well, you know, um, as far as the juniors, you know, you obviously you have Buck and Nelson. <clears throat> and, uh, and that seems like a flip a coin. Uh, you hear things that maybe it's not as leaning one direction, like going uh, as, it, as it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and again, it's a kind of you know decision. You don't even want to <clears throat> maybe necessarily push a guy one way or the other. I, I thought it was interesting the other day. Sark had a, a statistic I never had heard before that guys with their college degree have a uh, have much more longevity in the NFL than guys who don't. Now, I guess in some ways. Uh, that makes sense. If you come out without a degree, chances are you're going to be one of the younger guys coming out or you're going to be one of the guys more taking a shot, although you would think the guys coming out earlier also are the better guys. But but that was such statistics. So I think they're probably mentioning that to kids, that if you stay around and get your degree, you have a better chance of sticking uh, in the NFL. I don't know if they're even they're even related causally, but uh, but those are some thoughts. Uh, as to uh, as to Max, I mean Max has you know known what his situation has been. It hasn't changed, you know, for uh, you know the time he's been here, and uh, he's certainly got some you know precedent. Looking at you know past USC quarterbacks who uh, who waited their time and uh, things worked out pretty well. So uh, I mean I just think that you know you're leaving and sitting out another year. Uh, I don't know that that, you know, and learning a new system and all of that, I think for a quarterback to transfer, that's a big, that's really a big deal when you're basically in the pipeline to, to be the next guy up, even if it's not till you're, you know, you've got still the potential to, you know, to be the starting quarterback at USC for two years. Lawrence Jalen, I think he gives them kind of after another year or so an option for a, a kind of a different look and maybe something that they could incorporate into, you know, the system and, uh, and give him a chance to, to, you know, to show what he can do, uh, and, and see if, you know, if that's a direction that, that they would want to go. So I think that's jumping the, the gun a little bit to start talking about guys transferring. I mean, nothing has changed for him either. I mean, you know, he was the number three guy when he came in, he's the number three guy now. Um, so I'm not sure, and he's getting a chance to do a lot, you know, uh, now, and, uh, he's really valuable, uh, as a scout guy, an athletic guy to, you know, uh, represent the quarterbacks, a lot of the quarterbacks USC's playing. So, so I don't think it's changed that much for either one of the, the backup quarterbacks. No. Um, he, Melvin had one other question too. If, uh, if some of the injured players come back for the holiday bowl do they now give up a possible red shirt year by doing so yeah none of them are coming back no they're i don't think any of the uh in uh i'm not think, i'm not even sure anybody would fit into that category i guess uh uh like lamar dawson you know, kenny bigelow or somebody but but he's already used his red shirt i mean some of the guys that that might be there uh have already used their red shirt i guess jabari you know, you could do that. That would make just no sense at all. It, would, I, it wouldn't make any sense for yeah. anybody. Like to look, do Lamar, that. Lamar Dawson. I guess he had. He had... Yeah, when, I don't think it would matter for Lamar because he's. Uh, well, yes, it would. He, because he technically, uh, he didn't ever take his red shirt. Right. So, uh, and he's a fourth-year guy. So yeah, no, he yeah, you wouldn't. No, that would make no sense for Lamar. Yes, no, he would not, and he's not ready. He's not ready to come back. But yeah, no, there's nobody. Nobody in that category. I don't think at all that it would make any sense whatsoever, uh, you know, to do it. Yeah, he's like he would. Pro- Lamar Dawson would probably be the closest. I mean, he was out. You know, we saw him actually in practice over the weekend. Even I saw him make, make like a tackle. You know, so there's there's potential. Like if they, if- well, he could actually put him out there now. He's still dragging that leg. Yeah. with the brace on it, and it's not really. I mean, yeah, you could actually put him on the field. None of the others could you put on the field, uh, but uh, uh, you know, I guess Chris Wilson, maybe I don't, you know, 
yeah, mean, you, does... could, you could stand them out there without them getting really hurt, maybe. Uh, but uh, but no, no, nobody in that group is practicing uh, uh, in a way that would you know even lend that possibility. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it would make it would not make any sense at all to use up anybody's red shirt who who has anybody has one. It wouldn't make any sense to use them up in a bowl game. All right. Uh, well, speaking of injuries, we have another voicemail question that kind of goes talks about injuries, but going into next year. So let me play this one for you, Dan. Here you go. JD from DC with a question for Dan. Dan, don't you think recruiting class attrition to early entrance to the pros aside, et cetera, et cetera? The real key to next season is how our injured players come back and perform. You've basically got six guys who didn't see much, if any, of the field this year are all going to be starters next year. Bigelow, Mitchell, Madden, Ruffin, Dawson, Wheeler. Those guys are all going to start, and we hardly saw any of them this year. Yeah, I think J.D. is exactly right. Uh, I've said that also. When, when you see them, finally we saw them this week, the whole group. And, and, you know, when you look at the names and the numbers and what they're expecting of them, uh, I know everybody gets really excited about the recruiting class, and, and rightly so, but the class that's going to come in next year that's really going to matter are those guys. So we, you know, we've seen Stephen Mitchell get his chance more and more, but the other, you know, five guys all are, you know, really key, to, you know, if they come back healthy and, and ready to go. That's a tremendous uh uplift for this team and if you bring all the guys back that are coming back and those are five you know because when they, they'll say how many starters a team has back and i don't know what the number is going to be you know 17 or 18 or something like that but then you add five more because basically those are those guys are all starters so this is a team that might have more starters than than the 22 spots uh technically so absolutely that's the, I think the most, I would say probably there's nobody in the country that has more uh, injured talent returning next year than USC. Uh, you, you know, you throw Trey Madden in there. Uh, and uh, that's a lot of, you know, kind of star power almost of guys who, uh, who you know, you expect to, to be starters. And you add them to the guys that are currently starting, you're not losing that many seniors. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is a team that's going to be bringing back more than a starter, a position. It looks like if they're all healthy, uh, great stuff there, JD DC. Um, he, he loves the recruiting questions too. So we're going to have, we'll try to definitely try to have a recruiting podcast this week with Gerard Martinez. Um, so we'll have, uh, more recruiting questions. Then if you have questions for us for that podcast at usfootball.com, um, we got a couple coach O questions, Dan, I thought I would uh, run by you. If that's okay. Um, let's see. Which one should I do first? Uh, we'll do this one first from Justin. Why haven't I heard Coach O's name mentioned in connection with any of these coaching searches? If I were Michigan, Colorado State, Oregon State, Nebraska, especially Kansas, I would have at least wanted to talk to him. Now these spots, st- excuse me. Now these spots are starting to be filled, and I've yet to hear his name mentioned. Could you imagine Coach O going to Michigan, bringing Clancy Pendergast and John Baxter with him? And retaining Nussmeyer. Uh, now that's a coaching staff too good for Michigan fans to appreciate. Is he considered radioactive or something? Did did too good of a job on the fly last year? Love to hear your thoughts. Thank you from Justin. Yeah, I mean, here, for example, I think um, UNLV, for example, I think was really interested in him. I think they, from the word I get is, they thought people around their program thought, he was too good a coach, and it was they're in so much financial trouble that uh, you know they basically wanted a coach who would also come in and raise the money for the program. And uh, so, I, I, I mean, I think those that job, for example, you know, might have been been available. Uh, and I do think. Uh, you're right. I think he matches up really well with a, uh, a Colorado State job, for example, where you know recruiting is a lifeblood. Um, I would think he's the part, and this is why I probably 
really tried to convince him that no matter what had happened, uh, hang in there at USC and see what happens as opposed to uh, his, his departure the way it happened. And I think that probably has made it harder for other programs to, you know, consider. It, it just, and I, I don't know about the word radioactive, and I think there are really good comparable assistant positions for, you know, a guy who's as good a recruiter as there is in, in the country and it's certainly as good a defensive line coach as there is in the country. So, uh, I mean, I think those kinds of positions at the big-time you know, programs would be available. I think of all of those, if it ever happened that, you know, USC would have that kind of an opening, uh, you know, he, he has never, you know, said anything other than his love for USC. Uh, but uh, I think on some of these coaching jobs, the way it works with, with O is that his name is not going to be put out there. Uh, for example, uh, if you looked at the couple of jobs last week, uh, nobody put Mike Riley's name out for Nebraska. Nobody put uh, 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 Gary Anderson's job at, uh, name out for Oregon State, and yet those are the two guys that ended up with those two jobs. So I think we maybe overestimate uh, – the value of the names that you're reading out there. I mean, I read names last year about different jobs that just made no sense at all. And, uh, but it's just, you know, people that don't know anything, just grabbing here or grabbing there. So just because you don't read about uh, Ed and some of the jobs doesn't mean that there isn't anything happening there. But I do think, you know, he, it's, he's handicapped because of the, of, of, of the way it finished up at USC. And, you know, people on the outside just think, well, you know, what, what was that all about? And I don't know that we're ever even going to know uh, the exact details of what that was all about. And it was, a, you know, one of those screw-ups on every part of the, every side of it. It shouldn't have happened that way, but it did. And now, you know, you move on. Uh, but it does probably make – it certainly complicates things, I think, uh, you know, for, for Ed finding exactly the right place for him, for him. But there has to be a right place for – I mean, that was truly one of the great college coaching jobs that anybody's ever seen last year. And I know we have idiots on the board, and I'll say it, idiots, who say, but he lost the Notre Dame game. And he lost the – you know, yeah, yeah, okay. Right. I mean, that's just, you know, what they did to turn that program around in the middle of the year and to get the buy-in from all the coaches who could have easily packed it in and said, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, they got the buy-in from all the players. Uh, you know, and he'll admit the game plan for UCLA wasn't a good one. It wasn't like he was the only one that's had a bad game plan in the last three years for UCLA. Uh, but, uh, but I think there's a place for him. I think Ed learned so much from his Ole Miss days and, and, and reflected on it so well and, and knew all the things. I'm going to do this different. I mean, you know, it's sort of a, a Pete Carroll kind of conversion where you have some time away and then you say, okay, I understand exactly all the things that I did wrong. And you look at yourself and say, this is how I do it. I get a chance to do it again and he did do it that way and he was involved in, in many more of the decisions that turned the year around than he ever took credit for uh, on both sides of the ball and you know some of the critics say you know don't give him credit for that because they don't know what they're talking about but um, but yeah I would I would be very comfortable with him uh, coaching at, at almost any of those places you know a place like Michigan you know, where they're, they've got some phony baloney idea of what it is, uh, a Michigan man, and, you know, they think they should be able to compete with Ohio State now, and they're probably never going to be able to compete with Ohio State again, and that Michigan State has kind of run right by them. I, I wouldn't put a job like that in that category. I don't know what, you know, if they, if they can talk Harbaugh into taking it, maybe they will. But, uh, 
but I don't know. So, yeah, I think he'd do a good job there, but would they accept him, uh, you know, at the, the culture? I mean, Ole Miss pretty much, you know, I mean, I think people at USC loved having a, you know, Ed and his voice and his attitude and his all the things he brought, you know, with his, uh, you know, Cajun heritage and all of that. But even at Ole Miss, that didn't play very well. Uh, so there are places you may not want to go just because they may not know how to how to take that. Um, that was one of the beauties, I think, of Ed and USC is the way USC, is, you know, the, the community, the team, the fans, uh, so accepted that. And uh, so, anyway, that's my, my, my story on Ed. But just because his name isn't listed in, in some of those uh, jobs you mentioned doesn't mean something's not going on. Uh, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay, yeah. I mean, Alan Fresno kind of was along the same lines. He's – I don't want to read the whole thing, but I feel bad. It's, the, it's, it's kind of a bashing of, of Sark, comparing Orgeron to Sark and stuff like that. I mean, I, I don't think – I think sometimes we see, Dan, that there's people that are, well, I supported Ed, so I can't support Sark, or vice versa. Um, but, you know, he's talking about, well, Sark was beaten by UCLA, and so was Orgeron. I, I mean, I think you have to give credit to what Sark's been able to do. Like, people bashed him for losing to UCLA, but you got to give him credit for crushing Notre Dame. I don't care what kind of team that is. That's a, that's a great thing. So I just feel bad. I don't want these two sides to have to, like, <laughs> combat each other you know it's i think it, the longer it goes on the the more separation there'll be but there still well, seems to be some fighting between like the orgeron guys and the yeah, Stark guys the ideal thing would be if you could you know blend them i mean uh i think ed would come back in a heartbeat if uh if that opportunity came uh with sark at usc i don't think there's any question about it uh so yeah i don't i don't think there's any any purpose served in trying to you know knock one down you know and, and, and people do this, I think, at times. They say, this was my opinion, so I have to see everything in in light of how I was saying it last year. And that's not, you don't have to do that. You can adjust, and they can adjust. You know, if you said, well, I didn't like this about this guy, or I didn't like this about this, that guy, uh, things change. You know, for the people who didn't like that Ed left, if he comes back, that's changed. Or for people who don't like you know, the way Sark does this or does that, let's say he brought Ed back. Well, that would mean, okay, I want to go in that direction to some extent. I mean, I think that's what you always have to look at is the ability to adjust and adapt and to move on. That's what coaching is. And, uh, and that's where you have to be, I think, hopeful that that can work out, that you can adjust and you can adapt and you can move forward better, you know, next year than you were last year. And, uh, and that's uh, I think that's the the most important you know quality you can have in a coach is the ability to do that to really look at you know himself and his program and what what he needs and what the program needs to to get better. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on the show. Trojans getting ready for the Huskers down in San Diego should be a lot of fun. Hopefully, you guys can make it down there. Dan and I will definitely be there. Thanks again, Dan, for coming on. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I know they, they sold a bunch of tickets, right? I think they said sold 6,000 the first day of the USC tickets. Wow. For the Holiday Bowl. So, uh, you know, uh, it's always been a good game. I've, dr- I've gone down there for games just to see the games, and uh, uh, I would uh, recommend it. And now that you've got a team, uh, USC, down there for the first time, I just think it's, a, it's an ideal, you know, game for everybody here. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, it's a perfect way I'm looking at it as not just a way to finish up this year, but a way to start next year. And I think, I think with a young team, a team with so much potential, you know, coming back, that's how you have to look at it. That this could be kind of, you know, next year's opener. And uh, that's how that's how I think the fans ought to look at it. Sweet. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that December 27th. Thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. We'll be back in a minute talking with. Coach Harvey Hyde. We're going to get his thoughts on what's going on with USC football. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. 
Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got uscfootball.com contributor, Coach Harvey Hyde, joining the show. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm great, guys. First of all, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I'm offering everyone the happiest, happiest of whatever package you you like to celebrate out there. It's a great time of the year. Uh, bowl games, NFL uh, wrapping it up, uh, holiday seasons, uh, parties. What? What? How can it get any better, Ryan? How can it get any better? This is the best time of year for so many reasons, and uh, I want to get into all that. Just want to thank our sponsor first, Southern California Tickets. If you want to go to the Holiday Bowl on December 27th or any other the bowl games or Laker games, Clippers games, Clippers are pretty hot right now, things like that, go to sctickets.com and they can hook you up or call them at 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for anything here in Southern California or across the country, they can help you out. And Coach, I did want to talk to you about the bowl games, what you thought about USC going to the Holiday Bowl, but there's there's so many of them. I think there's 39 bowl games or something like that. I mean, I don't know if we got too many, uh, but there's a lot. Uh, Ryan, there are a lot of bowl games. And first of all, I want to congratulate all the teams that are going to a bowl game because somehow they qualified themselves uh, to be successful enough to win the minimum amount of games, which is six, and uh, uh, depending on how many games you play, if you play 13 games, uh, you normally you have to win seven uh, games to go to a, a bowl game. But uh, what a great experience it is for yourself. Uh, for your family, for your university to be selected to go to a bowl game and have the opportunity of getting the additional practices and, uh, what do you say, exposure for your university uh, on all the television and uh, during the holiday period. So congratulations to all those coaches. And the coaches are especially uh, happy, and now even the athletic directors are especially uh, happy because they're writing it into their contracts, too, that if you go to a bowl game, there's an additional incentive in there. Like if you go to a bowl game, some schools, $25,000 bonus to the coaches and the athletic directors. If you're coach of the year, maybe depending on what conference what conference you're in, it's a $100,000 bonus. Uh, if you win your bowl game, it's another $50,000 bonus. If you go to a New Year's game, it's another $100,000 bonus. Uh, if you win that game or win the national championship game, it could be as much as a half a million bonus, no matter uh, or depending on what conference you're in. So it's a, a happy, happy period of time for the bowl games. And then it's a down period of time for coaches because it's a period of time when coaches are, are fired or let gone go and and it's a very scurry type of season where you're you're trying to go to a bowl game especially if your team was selected like Colorado State to go to a bowl game and you don't have a head football coach and the staff's trying to find a, a job and there's so much going on your family you got to relocate themselves and go to new schools and you're hoping that the new coach is going to keep you on so there's a lot of those jobs that have that are out there. The only job that I know, major job where a head coach hasn't been hired yet is at the University of Michigan. But all the others have hired their coaches and they're getting ready for the recruiting process and everything, putting staffs together. And So it's a, a great period for some, bonus-wise, all the things that go along with it, and the extra practice days and recruiting's a lot easier. And then for some guys, it's a down period as far as for their families because remember when a head football coach is removed, that normally affects about 20 families as far as, you know, strength coach, director of football operations, all the people that are a part of that program. So 
and head coaches that come in normally just keep maybe one person or two the most. Like USC kept T. Martin and Clay Helton. Uh, you know, they don't keep a lot of coaches. So it's a great period of time, and it's a down period of time for some families. But uh, it's great out there, and uh, bowl games are great to go to. And I don't want to ramble on too long on this, but uh, Ryan, it, it's a good period, and, and it could be a down period too. What do you think about USC facing Nebraska? I mean, two traditional powers. Uh, it's, it's interesting that USC's never played in the Holiday Bowl, which is only a couple hours down the freeway. Um, you know, I, you know, Nebraska with the kind of co- the coaching change going on. Sark's actually played Nebraska a bunch of times uh, while he was at Washington and, and got a got a win in the Holiday Bowl. But what what do you think about this matchup? It's pretty interesting. It is interesting. First of all, the Holiday Bowl from the beginning wanted USC. Not not if they'd have gone to a, a, the Rose Bowl or one of the playoff games, but they wanted USC to come down the freeway. They they wanted uh, Arizona State didn't travel well last year, okay, from the Pac-12, uh, uh, and they lost down there too. So they wanted a team. They felt that the alumni of USC would travel. USC hadn't been there. They'd be a big draw in San Diego, too. A lot of recognition. And it's also great for USC in the recruiting area down there, San Diego, exposure-wise. And for USC, I think it was a great game. Uh, Nebraska, of course, they love coming into Southern California. Mike Riley, now the head football coach, wants to make that impression. Because when Nebraska was really, really good, they had a lot of California kids and Florida kids. Uh, their linemen, a lot of their linemen, come, they came out of the Midwest. So it's a great exposure for them. Mike Riley knows California. Is in, well, he had 30, 40 players on there, Ryan. You know best from California every year at Oregon State. Well, this this job is, is, is bigger, better, traditionally the whole package than Oregon State for Mike Riley, or he wouldn't have left more money and everything else to go to Nebraska. So it's a great game for them. I think it's a great matchup for USC because uh, you're playing against a named school. You're not playing nothing against Boise State, nothing against Colorado State, nothing against those schools, but you want to play against someone that has recognition nationally. And if you're fortunate enough to get your players up to beat this team, you get more value to your program of who you are. And uh, if you beat Colorado State, everyone expects you to beat Colorado State. Everyone expects you to beat Fresno State. Not that they won't and can't beat you, but Utah, when in the Mountain West Conference, beat USC with Pete Carroll there. So this is a great matchup for them because it's a a big-name school. Uh, Could have been Wisconsin, but it ended up being Nebraska. The Holiday Bowl wanted Nebraska because they always travel well. When they played in the national championship game in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl, that was in 2002, there was red and white all over the stadium. Miami had very few people compared to Nebraska. Nebraska bought out the bowl, bought it out. Wow. So, uh, that, so uh, it, it's great to be able to have these type of teams because in Nebraska, football is king, and uh, this is going to be – I think it's a great matchup. I, I really do. I think it's uh, – both teams, you know, when you look at the both teams, you know, they've got a great secondary. SC's got a great passing game. Uh, uh, Nebraska's got a talented Armstrong quarterback that can rush and run and throw the football. they got a great running back and a great receiver. So, you know, uh, you know SC's got to stop an Armstrong, which they've had trouble stopping. Uh, quarterbacks that are athletic. They've got Abdullah, the running back, who's a great running back. So they're going to challenge the defense. So it's an interesting matchup when you look at the game itself, too. So you've got a 9-3 and team playing an 8-4 and team in the Holiday Bowl, December the 27th, kickoff at 5 p.m. It's just a great matchup. Uh, yeah, it certainly is, Coach. I'm really looking forward to it. I've, I've been to the Holiday Bowl before just, just to go for fun. Uh, I think I saw like Washington State and Texas or something way back in the day. Uh, it's a it's a, just a neat bowl game. It, it just was baffling to me that USC's never played in it before, and it just seemed like the stars were lining up this year that they you know played well enough 
to be able to make it to the Holiday Bowl and just didn't know what kind of matchup it would be. But I like this one. I mean, just the, the history between Sark and, and Nebraska, a team he knows pretty well. You know, last year USC had to play the bowl game with an interim coach. This year Nebraska's going to do the same thing. So there's a there's just a lot of parallels, a lot of interesting aspects of this game. I agree 100%. And the other bowl game that was considering them was the Alamo Bowl. Now UCLA is going to Alamo Bowl, and they're going to be playing Kansas State there. Whenever you have a bowl game after the January 1st bowl games, January the 2nd, you know, people are a little burned out right there. <laughs> You know, you're watching great bowl games up to that period of time. You're seeing two semifinal championship games on the first. And then you come back the next day, and it's the Alamo Bowl. And not that I'm not going to watch the bowl, 345 UCLA PM uh, in Kansas State. Great matchup there, too. But I don't really see games after New Year's being that attractive. They're great to be in, except for the national championship game on the 12th. So I think it matched up perfectly for them December 27th, which is also a Saturday. You know, when you have games during the week on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, people have difficulty getting off work and traveling down there. Or kids are, no, kids aren't in school then. But it's just better to have a game on a Saturday. And uh, their game falls on a Saturday. It's better for the pregame shows. It's better for everything, for everybody. So I think they got a great matchup there. Uh, well, we had a couple of questions to get to. We got an international one, Coach, from uh, from Tech in Seoul, Korea. So I wanted to read you this one. Um, he actually wrote it in last week. He said, I was going to send this question last week, but it was submitted too late. Um, besides Sark's play calling, doesn't some of the blame need to fall on Cody Kessler for failing to target his tight ends? They're open all the time. Obviously, did a better job of spreading the ball in the Notre Dame game. But during the season, uh, Cody locks into Nelson Aguilar too much. He did it last year with Marquise Lee. And previously, and previous to that, Barkley did the same. Don't you think all of the top tight end recruits would know this? Why would anyone want to come to SC if our quarterbacks never throw them the ball? wonder if Max Brown would be a better option next year. Um and so that's the first part of it, and I'll, I'll read you the second, second part later. But what do, what do you think about USC targeting the tight ends? Well, I think it's a necessary thing because you've got great receivers outside, which means they can run a lot of cover, too, and they put the linebackers on the tight ends, and they don't really pay attention to the tight end on curl routes and drag routes and seam routes and all these different type of routes that you can run to tight ends. You, you flex them a little bit where they can get nice releases, and USC's uh, tight ends are skilled receivers. They're, they're great players. They're big. They're 6'5". They can run. They're not the 6'6", 300-pound, you know, 275-pound blocking tight ends. They're, they're basically receiving type of tight ends where you can put them in a position to really use their size against the defensive back. So I agree with that 100%, and I think they've got to utilize them. I think that's one thing that wasn't utilized in the passing game against USC, and all during the regular season, I said I thought they went to Nelson Aguilar too much. They've got great receivers all over the field, and I thought that at times some of those receivers should have been utilized in different areas on the defensive side of the football. You heard me say that. Uh, get your players on the field, and I think against Notre Dame, and uh, they started to utilize George Farmer and Juju Smith more, and Nelson Aguilar got his, his share of receptions, and Whenever somebody's catching the ball a hundred times a game or a hundred times a season or eighty times a season, you start to question if they have anybody else on the field they can throw the football to. But when you start making your tight end a threat, your tight end is is catching five balls a game or four balls a game or six balls a game. I'm telling you, that puts a lot of stress on the secondary because as when they're double teaming the the wide receivers. You keep throwing the ball to the tight end, and it's a mismatch in there. And he'll slide to the open area, or or they're not sure if he's going to run a seam route, stop, comeback routes, curls routes, drag routes, drag stop, all kinds of different things, post, post corners. You could do a lot of things with your tight ends. And now you really opened up the defensive secondary where it's almost impossible to cover these guys. So, I've always felt that in my offenses, I had to have a great tight end. A great tight end makes a difference in an offense totally 
along with the receivers. And, you know, the receivers have got to understand you're not going to catch the ball that many times. Spreading the ball around, it's team and then me. It's not me and then team. It's finding a way to win that's important. Um, and then, Coach, the second part of his question, it's literally not real happy with uh, Justin Wilcox. He says, finally, now that Bo Pelini was fired, do you think that USC could pursue him? And can that joke of a defensive coordinator we currently employ, Justin won't blitz, or I mean Wilcox. Um, that's from Tech and Seoul Korea. He's not a real big fan of of Justin Wilcox, apparently. Well, you know, uh, you know, I'm not for, uh, you always hear me say I'm not for firing of any coaches. I never get into that because I've been there and I know what it's all about. So I don't wish that upon anybody, but I do, I can go back and as I've done it all along, I've questioned sometimes things they've done defensively as far as putting pressure on the quarterback, mixing it up. Don't be vanilla uh, against Notre Dame. They decided to put pressure on uh, Notre Dame, and they got them out of rhythm and out of sync immediately at the beginning of the game. And they could have been doing that the entire year, uh, especially when you don't have, as they talk about numbers, you help you down four guys. Your down four guys can only rush the quarterback just so many times, and then they get tired. And I think that was part of the defense's tiring uh, and non-success in the second part of the you know second part of a game, the second half is they just got worn out because you didn't assist them with any type of other different pressures. And I think a quarterback's got to not know or not recognize. You show and you don't come, and then you show and you come, and then you you mix it up in all different types of areas where even the offensive linemen aren't sure what's going on. you got to put that question of doubt in the offense. If you get one guy free, and you got to play. So... Uh, I think that's something that they can improve on more and they could do more of. And I understand this, uh, when you do that and if you don't get the quarterback, you've got to have great corners and secondaries that are playing man, which you can get burnt. But uh, you've got to be able to gamble a little bit to, to be good. And uh, I, I will go with that. And I'll also say it's going to be real interesting to see exactly, and that's what I said why it's a great matchup for the bowl, how USC goes about stopping Nebraska as far as with their athletic quarterback. And if I'm Nebraska, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to take advantage of things that I've seen in all the game films that uh, SC doesn't do real well defensively. And I'm going to try to attack all of those weaknesses And because I have a two-week, three-week period to prepare for this. So I'm going to utilize, I'm going to look at every film and where people had success against USC, that's what my game plan is going to be. All right. Uh, thanks for Tech for writing in from Seoul, Korea. That's really cool to get the international questions. Uh, we got one last one for you, Coach. It's Patrick. He said, you mentioned insurance insurance policies for the players. I think it's safe to assume that most players worry about getting injured and losing guaranteed money. What if, instead of paying athletes, the schools provide insurance policy packages for the student-athletes? How much are those policies? Also, is it in the best interest of the Pac-12 to have, say, USC – lose to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, there seems to be a, a conflict of interest. I imagine if Oregon loses the championship game, the Pac-12 would not be represented in the playoffs, which would be a huge blow to the conference. Uh, thanks for all the good work you do, Patrick. So he's talking about, you know, in the future, is does the Pac-12 have uh, a, a conflict of interest there when they would want the, the favorite team to win just to make sure you get to a playoff, not necessarily want an upset? Well, uh, <clears throat> I think... Uh, they do. What I mean by that, I hate to say this, but uh, the number of dollars that are involved in college football, and I'll tell you, people say it's, it doesn't come down to dollars, but hey, it comes down to dollars, okay? Uh, I think I see it happening all the time in, in uh, college athletics, even where it's ridiculous as far as what they're doing money-wise with different things, and it's almost wasteful. And they, because when you have too much, then you've got to spend so much to be able to justify more. So uh, all these facilities and things they're doing, that's great. But who's making the money to have this all happen, and what do they have to do to, to make all this happen? Uh, for example, in this situation, this year they were very fortunate because Arizona had a good year, so Arizona got the bid to the Fiesta Bowl. They figured that people would travel well there, and, and they would go there, and they got a, they got a, one, of, uh, one of the big bowls. 
Well, Oregon, of course, got the Rose Bowl, so they're going to be able to pick up revenue there, and they're also going to pick up additional revenue when they go to, if they beat Florida State, to the national championship game. So it's more revenue for all the schools, not just Oregon. For all the schools, not just Arizona, but all the schools in the Pac-12. So they all share equally. So they're all cheering for the more bowl games that they can get into to generate more income for the entire conference. This is why it's been set up so Washington State, Oregon State, and all these other schools benefit as much as USC gets. In fact, there's some formula there that USC is now even sharing some of its game revenues as far as the number. I don't know how it works. If someone can explain it to you if you really want to get into it where the number of tickets sold compared to the number of tickets that are sold at Washington State, that revenue is being shared within the conference because some of the schools like uh, USC or, or Washington or uh, UCLA that are getting 75,000, 80,000 people are making more money than the Washington States or Oregon States or some of the other schools that don't draw as much as like Utah gets 45,000 or whatever in their stadium. So there's a lot of ways now that all this television revenue and bowl revenues and, and sharing equally and all this stuff that, that is, is bringing more money into the conference. They don't want certain teams to win or lose. I mean, you don't cheer against that, but you look at it and you say, as an administrator, if I'm Larry Scott, what happens if this happens? Wow, look what we have. We have seven teams in bowl games that are bowl eligible more exposure, then at the end of the year you want to prove you're the best conference and you say, and we won all seven of our bowl games. And when I look at this, at the bowl games currently now, I think that the Pac-12 is favored in every bowl game except, I believe, the Alamo Bowl. And I think Kansas State is a point and a half favorite there. I'll have to go back and think about every team, but I think that's true. So if they are able to win all those bowl games, then all of a sudden you have all these bragging rights. Is look at we are the strongest conference. We went six and one. We went seven and zero oh or whatever in bowl games. And I go back to saying this: How many times can anybody out there? And I don't know if it's done on purpose. Maybe it is. How many bowl games can you tell me where a Pac-12 team played a Southeastern Conference team? not happening this year when did it happen the last time when they match up unless it's a, a playoff game uh, I don't know uh, that'd be a good question for someone to check check out because I'm not sure if the Southeastern Conference wants to play a Pac-12 team in a conference in a, in a bowl game yeah I mean, I mean the, the bowl alignments it's usually we don't have those two conferences I think a lot of it is geographic coach where you don't have uh there's a is there a bowl that you could take a pac-12 team and an sec team far east far west and make them play unless it's in texas somewhere and then likely you're going to play a, a big 12 team if you do that that's exactly what happens but like this year what i'm complaining about and everyone's heard me i think i've maybe i haven't done it on our podcast but why is ohio state playing alabama when Ohio State could play in the Rose Bowl, Oregon plays in the Rose Bowl. It's the regular Rose Bowl game. Pac-12 against Big Ten Championship, yeah. if you're talking about travel. Florida State was here last year. Florida State goes to the Sugar Bowl. Alabama goes to the Sugar Bowl. That's great. Uh, revenue is great for the tournament people and the people in Southern California that has been eight. 100-year contributor to college athletics by bringing the people out of Ohio where it's cold, they want to get out of the snow, and they want to come to the Rose Parade and the Rose, and the big game in Pasadena. Well, now they've been Florida State across country. Those people are waiting to go to Texas. They've been to California. And, you know, I don't care how you rank them. Make Ohio State one in Oregon 4, or whatever you want to do. But I think there should be some thought of tradition and some thought of location for the fans and the teams as far as where they're from. 
as far as the loyalty too from these bowl games. All right, coach. Well, yeah, it's just if, I guess they could have put Florida State at four, and they could have put you know Ohio State at three, but just the way the kind of rankings came out. But I agree, I'd, I'd be nice to have those kind of matchups. You'd have the traditional one there, but we'll see if they kind of change that going forward because that would be an interesting thing here. But coach, I know you got your busy time for you. I want to let you go, but thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing all your insights. Well, they're not they're not going to do that, but it makes sense, okay? <laughs> they're not, they're not going to do that. And I, I'm disappointed in the people that are on the committee here that are representing the West. I mean, you know who they are. And, and also the Big Ten commissioner, he was just so happy to get a team in the Final Four that he wasn't willing to fight to make sure that it would be the tradition that it yeah. had always been. It would now, be I nice just to put see. it on who it is. Yeah. I just tell you that right now. Yeah, but I, I like the match. I like the games. I like the matchup. But it would be nice to have oh, Oregon no. play at Ohio no. State. I'm not arguing with the matchups. I'm just arguing with you know the tradition of these college bowls that have done so much, and the fans, and the fans to be able to uh, keep them uh, in a position where they can enjoy too part of the game, not all money. All right. Well, Coach, thanks so much. We appreciate you coming on. We'll see. We'll get to talk to you again next week and uh, see what else we. Get the questions. So podcast at uscfootball.com. Send in your questions for Coach Dan or myself. And uh, thanks again for uh, joining us. And we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 